Hello, and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from global perspectives on health, medicine, and accessibility to interviews with social justice activists, filmmakers, artists, and academics from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hello and welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Today we are speaking with Luna Dolezal, who is a principal investigator at the University of Exeter and also associate professor in philosophy and medical humanities. I've worked with Luna before on uh, on shame and medicine, and that's a project, but also it's uh, been some publications we've done at the Medical Humanities Journal. Some of you hopefully uh, have read that and are, are familiar with it. But today we're also bringing on Emily Silverman, who is assistant volunteer professor of medicine at UCSF and who began the Nocturnists, medical storytelling. So I'm really excited to have both of you here today. Welcome, Luna. Welcome, Emily. Thanks, Maddie. Thank it's nice to us. be here. So wonderful to have you. So I'm I'm really quite interested. Um, I was new to the Nocturnist podcast, which I realize is it's live, is it not? It's a live show. The Nocturnist is a live show and a podcast. So we we produce theatrical experiences, storytelling experiences, but then we have our podcast, which sometimes will feature stories from the stage, but sometimes has separate content and separate series. That's fantastic. Um, so it, I actually run a live show too that's also a podcast called The Peculiar Book Club, and our focus is on literature that talks about science and medicine. So I can't believe that I haven't run across you before. So many, many thanks to Luna for putting you on my radar. And I know both of you have done a lot of really interesting work in the in the direction of shame, and that you have a shame in medicine series with the nocturnists. I'm fascinated because I think this is such fertile ground, especially now. And I think uh, me personally seeing the way long COVID and uh, extended illnesses have become tangled up in concepts of shame, I just think now is a really, really good time and it's incredibly fertile soil. So I wondered if the two of you could just tell me a bit more about how you're seeing shame come into, how are you sharing it with people so that it, it's, it bears fruit? I could start. I, I have a research project about shame and medicine at the University of Exeter, and we're researching the role that shame plays in health and healthcare. So that's an academic project where we're collecting data about people's shame experiences in medicine and, and doing research through literature, um, art history and philosophy as well around shame. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of the Nocturnists. And um, a couple of years ago, I reached out to Emily to suggest the idea that we do a series about shame in medicine where healthcare workers could tell shame stories because the thing about shame is that it's quite, um, you know, it's a taboo to talk about shame. So mm -hmm. it's often underground or people keep it secret. It, it It's not often explicitly spoken about. Um, and Emily was game and we um, started collaborating with another um, doctor at Duke University, Will Bynum, who's a shame researcher. He does a lot of research around shame experiences mm -hmm. in medical learners. And um, and that was the, the kind of start of a, a wonderful kind of over two year collaboration, which has led to this amazing award winning um, 10 part podcast series, um, which Emily can tell you more about. Yeah. So what was amazing was when Luna reached out to me, she pointed out that the topic or the emotion of shame 
was already so present in the stories that clinicians were telling on the Nocturnus. I actually went back and listened to a bunch of our old stories and realized, oh my gosh, this has been front and center the entire time. And I just never noticed it. I never saw it. It's just invisible. And so it was so exciting to have this opportunity to just focus on the emotion itself directly. And that's what we did. The way that we embarked on this project was we announced the collaboration and then we put out a call for shame stories. And that was kind of it. We didn't say what type of shame stories or give people topics or suggestions. We just said, you know, shame is ubiquitous in healthcare, or at least that's our hypothesis. Share with us your experiences of shame in, you know, in the workplace or having to do Mm -hmm. with your professional identity. And we got hundreds of people who responded. And some of them responded with a written response. Some of them responded with an audio recorded response. And we as a team started meeting once a week to kind of sift through all of this material that had come in. Um, we ended up going on hiatus for a few months just because COVID happened and, you know, mm. everything, <laughs> everything <Yeah. laughs> got uh, a little bit upended. But um, in the end, we, we came back together as a team hired an amazing documentary filmmaker to serve as audio producer. This was his first time venturing uh, away from film and into audio. And so that was really great um, to get that perspective. And then Molly Rose Williams, our head of story development, was was sort of the keeper of the stories. She knew those stories inside and out and exactly who and what and things like that. So we would meet once a week and, and begin this process of how do we organize this? And how do we make sense of this? And um, from those meetings emerged um, a rough sketch, a rough outline of what the series was going to look like, how many episodes, what theme for each episode. And then slowly but surely, we started to fill in those gaps, fill in that outline. And then by the end, we had this really beautiful 10-episode podcast documentary series, which was a mix of three elements. So first was the primary source, the raw audio that we received from our community. Second was Will and Luna's voices as shame experts. And third was my voice as the host of The Nocturnist, sort of like the guide who is guiding the listener through naive years, through the experience. And that's what we did. It's really, really a complex and interesting project. And uh, the artwork also is very interesting to me. When I go to your website, you have this amazing collage of different images, um, which I think is fascinating, too. And if you want to talk about that, I think that's maybe worth talking about as well. Yeah, I mean, the artwork is award winning as well as the podcast. Um, We worked with an artist, Beppe Conti, and uh, he's Italian and Um, I think Emily had loads of back and forth with him about how to create these amazing images where we we wanted to depict healthcare workers and and the theme of shame. But it's actually a really hard thing to depict shame visually uh, without just resorting to like images of people with their heads in their hands. And I Mm -hmm. think the kind of motif and the the metaphor of the forest and the lost forest, which is the the subtitle of the series, is really powerful um to convey the kind of like you know being lost in the emotions and the, the i don't know the secrecy and the the complexity of these experiences emily do you want to say more about the art because you work so closely with beppe to to bring it to this to the place it is 
And I should probably just for a quick minute describe what it is. <laughs> Some of our, and we'll also try to include the image uh, along with. If you send if you send it to us or send us a small version, we can include it in the podcast or on the blog. But just for our listeners, it's it's like a forest scene, but there are doctors and faces and eyes. Eyes is a big motif. There's animal images, sort of a blue heron in the front that has an eye on its wing. There's a doctor looking at himself in a mirror and seeing instead a kind of, I think it's a praying mantis. And so um, it's a really, really interesting uh, visual story. Yeah, I learned so much about the phenomenology of shame from Will and Luna, how it presents in the body. What is the physical experience of acute shame and that ranges from flushing of blood to the cheeks uh, a downward movement a sense of being exposed under a spotlight and so these were the concepts that we were looking toward mm -hmm. as we developed the illustrations of course we didn't want to fall into like the google image stock um, picture of like doctor just sitting with their head in their hands because if you type that into google images with shame and you know doctor or whatever healthcare worker that's all you get. And so we were like, okay, how do we take this, this idea and put a creative spin on it and maybe infuse it with some mystery, maybe some magic, um, a sense of curiosity, um, it's really incredible. a sense of organicity. And that's how this concept of the lost forest emerged. And it is, it is um, I just could not be more thrilled with what Beppe, our collage artist came up, came up with continually to this day. Uh, yeah, I, I love looking at it. And I think the eyes, like the thing about shame is when you are in an, a, a shame event, like you're having the really strong experience of shame. One of the really strong feelings is that everyone can see what you've done or who you are and that, you know, you're, you're so, you feel so conspicuous and self-conscious and visible and like there are eyes everywhere looking at you and, and judging you. And, um, and so that I think the motif of the eye is really important to kind of convey that feeling of hyper visibility that often comes with the experience of shame. Um, and the kind of overriding concern that others are looking at you and judging you. Um, and that can be really paralyzing and, um, disempowering to live with that feeling, if, you know, in, in the short term, term, or if you live with chronic shame in the long term. Well, and of course, in a way, because this is this is a place for medical storytelling by practitioners, uh, which is different than, say, it would be if it were specifically focused on patients, even though shame affects both categories of people. So I think um, the other thing that, it, at least here in, in the United States, I know I encounter this a lot. Um, I used to work with medical students who would tell me, you know, they're expected to sort of know everything, you know? Um, we put doctors on a, a pedestal in the United States, I think worse than almost anywhere else. And so there is a real sense that you have to have the answer and everyone's looking to you for the answer. And yet there are frequently not answers. And I wonder too, how COVID has played a role. Cause you know, you said it, it sort of interrupted the work to begin with, but also I know, you know, just the incredible burden that has been placed on on uh, people in the front line of healthcare through all of this and the inability to kind of, it's often the feeling like you can't turn the tide of it must be causing all kinds of very self-conscious emotions. One of the things about COVID that we've done some research about is doctor shaming. So how healthcare professionals, not just doctors, but healthcare professionals we're actually the recipients a lot of, of a lot of shame and stigma because of fear of contagion, especially in the early part of the pandemic when we didn't really know how the virus spread or how serious it was. And um, and there were, you know, 
PPE shortages and just a lot of fear and uncertainty. And while doctors were like lauded as heroes and angels and, you know, everyone was thrilled they were working on the front line kind of fighting the virus, they were at the same time often the recipients of quite a lot of shame and stigma. Um, and in the UK, that was, you know, that was through violence, like attacks on the street and verbal abuse and um online shaming. Um, so I think there was like a huge affective toll alongside this, you know, grueling work that doctors are facing during COVID. And The Nocturnist has done two amazing um, series about COVID, um, stories from the pandemic, which is actually how I got to know their work. Um, and it's just so powerful to hear like stories from the front line of the COVID pandemic as the pandemic was kind of rolling out in April and May of 2020. And um, yeah, I think there's just so much intense emotion and um to kind of unpack about covid yeah i'm mean, absolutely and i think too um then you have the follow-up which doctors who were saying go get vaccinated and then there's such a huge anti-vax trend i know in the united states that then there's a blaming of the doctors as though they were somehow responsible for not fixing the plague so that they didn't need vaccine, you know, all sorts mm -hmm. of things, but a sense that the doctors were to blame at the beginning and the end. Yeah. Emily, did you have any experiences when you were working in um, UCSF in the hospital? Yeah. I remember walking into the hospital during the first wave of the pandemic, preparing to take care of people. And this was, you know, very, very much in the pre-vaccine era and just the the fear and the uncertainty and the anxiety. Um, and that was definitely something that we captured in our Stories from a Pandemic documentary series, which was acquired by the U.S. Library of Congress as a historic document, um, really trapping in amber this moment um, straight from the mouths of frontline workers, what it was like to live through that time. So we're really proud of that work. And I think the Shame series in some way is a transitional narrative where we take a lot of the unmasking that happened during COVID, so much unmasking related to just the dysfunction of the healthcare system, economic dysfunction, political dysfunction, cultural dysfunction, um, inequities, injustices, labor rights and conditions, the lack of um, sick leave for healthcare workers, the lack of any kind of redundant staffing, um, understaffing, all of these things that were unmasked from the pandemic are absolutely um, sources of shame and were even before the pandemic arrived. And so things that we see in the shame series, um, you know, stories that unfolded years before the pandemic even hit. Uh, we have a story about, you know, a physician who came to work and was actively vomiting and was sick and, and was afraid to go home and she just kept working. Um, we have stories about, you know, people who were targeted at work because of their identity. For example, we have stories of people who had things happen to them, you know, in previous childhood experiences and how that showed up for them in the workplace. We have a ton about shame and learning, the way that we wield shame as a pedagogical tool in the hospital and how does that work and, and you know, what does that do to people and is that effective? We have things about shame and medical error, shame and failure, shame and testing. And by testing, I mean standardized testing, MCAT shelf exam, you know, you know those are the American versions of the tests. Um, what does that do to people? Things like shame and litigation. Um, I'm sure the U.S. and U.K. have different cultures around this, but what is it like to be sued as a provider? And so all of these um, just such like profound emotional experiences that were happening 
even before COVID. And then when COVID came, it, it all just really intensified. So mm-hmm, use these, mm-hmm. um, two series as being in dialogue with each other. Right. Well, here at the Medical Humanities, we have a very uh, considerable focus on social justice, issues of social justice, particularly um, that means, you know, folks who are LGBTQIA or minority status, black scholars, black providers. And, you know, it strikes me that this is (laughs) this is exactly the place where you would expect to see shame operating, right? Uh, particularly, you know, shame against those who are from another country, shame against people. And, and right now, because of the pandemic, there was quite a lot of aggression geared towards um, those from Asian descent, you know, for instance. But I feel like racism must surely be part of these narratives as well. Yeah, definitely. Actually, during our pandemic series, you know, the pandemic hit around March, and then we were in the throes of part one of our pandemic series, March, April, May, and then June rolled around and George Floyd was murdered in the United States. And the pandemic was subsiding a bit. And so we as an organization had to ask ourselves like, oh, God, we, you know, we thought we thought we were, you know, maybe going to take a break from some of this pandemic programming. Um, but we really don't feel like we can. We feel like we need to meet this moment as well. And one thing that's really nice about being such a small, um, nimble, you know, scrappy nonprofit indie organization is that, um, we can pivot and we can meet the moment in that way. And so, uh, what we ended up doing that summer was I reached out to a couple of my friends in the medical humanities here in the States, Dr. Ashley McMullen at UCSF and Dr. Kimberly Manning at Emory in Atlanta, Georgia, both amazing black women physicians. And I said, Hey, I don't know really what I'm asking, but I have this platform. It's called the Nocturnus and I would really love to do something, um, you know, to platform black voices in healthcare. And so that summer we released, um, another documentary podcast series that was sort of modeled after the pandemic series where we put out a call, received voices. Um, we picked a theme for each episode and with Ashley and Kimberly really driving the ship on that project, we were able to put together that, um, piece as well. And so, um, the pandemic series, the Black Voices series, and now the Shame series, that was really um, the work that we were able to do during the pandemic in the absence of live shows. And I think, um, you know, mm-hmm. it was certainly a bummer not to be able to do live shows anymore. But man, what an amazing creative experience it was to really lean into this audio diary format, collect voices that were not limited to the Bay Area, but were coming from, you know, all corners of the country and make some of this new work during lockdown. So I have a question for you. Um, I said earlier that I have a live show, but I actually have a live stream. Uh, and it is a video show where it's like a variety show in, in a way it's got music. And I'm wondering, have you ever thought about moving some of this into you, you, you were working with someone who is a film person, even though they were doing the documentary um, as an audio, have you thought about moving this onto a kind of filmic or live stream landscape? You know, that's such a great question because you're right. Our creative activities have historically been, you know, um, live storytelling shows in the style of the moth, very simple, you know, several people, about 10, 15 minutes per story going up one by one. That's the format um, for the live shows. And then for the podcast, um, yeah, it's really been the voice, you know, audio storytelling. 
But moving forward, just thinking about the trajectory of the Nocturnus as an organization and what we aspire to, we are interested in branching out to other mediums. You know, what what kind of films could we make? You know, whether mm-hmm. that's documentary or perhaps something mm-hmm. even fictionalized, what kind of, you know, written, you know, a book or something that we could write or um, what about different types of theatrical experiences? So instead of storytelling in the old ancient um, style, like what about a full length play of some sort? What about a musical? You know, we're very um, yeah, medium I, agnostic. <laughs> we really think more in terms of story first. And then it's like, all right, what is the in what way does this particular story want to be expressed in the world? And it would be so amazing to to have all those different um, types of uh, art an artistic medium available to our team. Well, and I ask partly because, um, partly because you have such a wonderful video, uh, visual medium, visual dynamic to the shame and medicine series with the lost forest. And I was looking at it thinking, um, it's, it resonates with me. Uh, the peculiar book club show that I run, we, it's, it's, it's what it sounds like. It's a little odd. <laughs> so we basically do books that are nonfiction and a little bit on the, you know, sidelines, uh, science and medicine, but things that might be peculiar, considered peculiar to other people. What I mean uh, by, by saying that is we're drawing in this kind of collage effect. And we actually use stop motion animation and mini videos. So videos that are about two minutes long. They're, they're not that. Um, the production values are so are are high on the they look like they're high, but they're not so much investment on the front end um, because I actually make all of them. <laughs> so, you know, it can be done quite cheaply. But I just was thinking even if it was something as simple as you having mini episodes, one to two minute videos, um, there's video editing software is so easily available these days, uh, even on your iPhone. So I just think that um, it seems like this would be the perfect place to express that because you have so many interesting things. There's, I could see something about disability being done. I could see something about, you know, and I feel like you have, you have, I'm sure all sorts of ideas. I was, my last question was going to be, where do you see the future going? And we've kind of already gotten there. So, um, so maybe we'll just keep going with that. What's the future of, what does the future of this look like? Yeah, I love your suggestion of animation. I recently have been diving into this American animated show called Bojack Horseman. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but what I love about it is the characters in the show are like half humans and half animals. So the main character, (laughs) Bojack Horseman, like he's just a horse walking around and, you know, he'll talk to the cat, he'll talk to the octopus, he'll talk to a human, you know, a man, a woman, and nobody really like comments on the fact that (laughs) these are animals is just kind of accepted (laughs) in the world of Bojack Horseman. And that's something that animation makes possible because that would be very mm-hmm. difficult to do in a live action film. And so there's so much availability there in the animated medium to be playful and to venture into magical realism and, you know, things like that. So exactly. I, I mm-hmm. would love um, the opportunity to work on an animated film project or short film project. I think that would be really, really fun. And you're right. Um, the illustrations that we've commissioned for our podcast series have been such a big part of our identity as an organization and are so much in the DNA of our, um, you know, of what we do. So uh, that seems like a natural extension of that. Um, but yeah, in terms of the future, I think we, we certainly want to keep doing what we're doing. But I think what I said earlier about um, expanding into different 
you know, artistic mediums and thinking about what sort of long form projects we might want to create. I could see our organization really sitting at the nexus of healthcare and, you know, the arts and storytelling and, and serving as a hub where we can, you know, surface some of these narratives, you know, inspired by true narratives or even, you know, documentary style um, that are coming out of that interface of that clinical encounter between a doctor and a patient or a nurse and a patient or a doctor and a nurse, um, whatever it is, and and just um, continue to make art because, you know, making art for art's sake is something that I love doing and that I think the world needs. Um, But then there's Mm -hmm. also the whole social impact layer of this where, you know, you make the art and you put it out in the world and enjoy it, but then there's also things you can do around the art to um, cause it to penetrate the community and have an impact. And as an example for our shame and medicine documentary podcast series, we have the 10 episodes, which is the art, but then we have a whole social impact and engagement campaign where, you know, medical residency program directors or, you know, chief wellness officers or even med students can come to our website and access discussion guides for each episode. They Mm -hmm. can access facilitator toolkits if they want to spark conversations about shame at their home institution. We have, you know, resource lists, just so much there for people to sink their teeth into and engage with around this topic of shame. And so um, I really love that that one-two punch of you know making beautiful art, but then mm-hmm. finding ways to to um, let the art have an impact in the world. Right, absolutely. And I also think it's important to say um, so to our listeners and also those who are in our readership. The Medical Humanities has three different platforms. We have the journal itself, we have the blog, which we run a bit like a magazine, and then we have this podcast, which is probably our most public-facing, kind of um, least academic way of doing things. But the whole point is uh, our brand, our our way of handling medical humanities is typically not necessarily looking at clinical, but it's much more um, looking at culture and looking at the cultural relevance of health and how that happens and how that, where access problems are, who has access to healthcare and who doesn't. And so we end up doing something that's, um, that is, it runs alongside what you're doing, but actually doesn't really overlap very much, except in the sense that we're all working towards this kind of uh, lifting up of justice issues. The more of these types of platforms exist and the more often we connect with each other as a sort of nexus, um, I think the more powerful they become. And that's that's just a really exciting thing for, for us. And we're really excited to have had you on the show and also just have introduced our readership and our listeners to what you're doing here. That's absolutely my pleasure. I'm just thrilled to have been a part of the creation of this amazing series and all the resources that accompany it and I really hope it makes some small change to medical culture and you know we've received so much amazing feedback about the series and the episodes and you know I hope it just has a far reach and people engage with it so thanks for having us on the show Brandy. Oh, it is really wonderful to have you on. And again, uh, for those of you who are joining us, this is Luna and Miss Emily, and we're talking about the Nocturnists. Um, there will be an accompanying blog post with a transcript for the show, and we'll have links to all of the fun things we've been talking about. So thank you once again for joining in and being part of the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Since 2020, transcripts are available for all shows on our blog. Stay in touch by reading the journal and blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. 
We are also on Twitter as medhums underscore BMJ.